Hello and welcome back to Hype A, a podcast amplifying voices in the arts. If you want to be inspired or want to get into the arts, you've come to the right place. Tune in and turn on every Thursday. We have a new service where subscribers get access to subscriber-only content for future and past episodes for just $2.99 a month. This new service supports the podcast Hype A moving forward and it allows us to continue providing high-quality content from leaders in the arts. For season six, the theme is discoveries. What have you been discovering? Has it been mental? Has it been emotional, physical, or political? We will be talking about these discoveries and more with our guests this season and how it has impacted their creativity overall. Today, on the first episode, we have Eric Beton. Eric is a painter, writer, curator, professor, gallery owner, translator and teacher, having worked in these fields in Canada, Mexico and Europe. He's the owner of Galerie Cache in Montreal, Canada. Cache was founded in 2016 to bridge the growing gap between public, private and corporate institutions working in the art world. Cache Gallery is located on unceded Indigenous lands. The gallery respects the continued connections with the past, present and future in their ongoing relationships with Indigenous and other peoples within the Montreal community. In this episode, we will be discussing topics that some listeners may find triggering. Listeners' discretion advised. Welcome back, Eric. How are you doing? Very good. How are you? I'm well. It's so lovely to see you after maybe about a year and a half. I think the last time we had a chat on Hype A and you shared some really amazing insights about the art world in Canada and Montreal specifically, because I know you're based there. Um, there. A lot of the things that you had said then had really stuck in my mind, honestly. Um, oh, so really? Well, yeah. it's evolved a lot. That that I guess you could say uh, what we talked about came from trauma in a way, and the projects that I did came from a very yes. difficult situation, and that's evolved into something very uh, productive. So might be useful for you. <laughs> yes, and we're going to get, we're definitely going to get into it. Uh, you know, this theme for season six is all about discoveries, discoveries on the mental, any kind of physical or emotional discoveries that that have affected us as artists or creators or people that work in the arts in general. What what have has been your main discovery, let's say very recently or something that's really impacted you? Okay, so I've I was walking over here at, to the coffee shop this morning, thinking about that, and I can I think I can sum it up in a hypothesis I've been developing about the art world and how uh, artists have very little little power and they're, they're treated like products most of the times, and uh, the interest in the work is mainly commercial. It's like a you know you make a product for for uh for people that have money that don't necessarily have an insight into the work and uh, people that actually deal with it don't have an insight into the work um a lot of the times 
It's not always the case, but I think I was been thinking about how artists can take uh, back the power in, in some and um, I mean, not in some sense, like really about it's about how artists can take control of uh, all the production. If you're gonna gonna use Marxist <laughs> terms, uh, which are not very fashionable, uh, the mar the production <laughs> means and also the distribution means how kind of how artists can uh, uh, kind of be very active and, and, and take important decisions across the board, you know, um, and all the, uh, during all that process from the, the studio to all the way to the, 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 the market and, uh, and uh, just the exhibition and everything else, you know, and the theory I've been working on is, uh, is the fact that, you know, like just, Everybody knows about gentrification. Gentrification is a thing that artists are kind of at odds at odds with because uh, they're affected by it, but at the same time, they're also the instruments of it. Kind of sums it up because once artists move into uh, some kind of neighborhood, then everybody starts panicking. Panicking because there's going to be Airbnbs all of a sudden, and uh, rents are going to go up and stuff like that. But I thought maybe that's the way to go within a gallery which by that i mean how what about creating a model of gallery where you attract all the artists and you mm -hmm. uh you what you do is is say in montreal in my case i'll give an example with my own gallery uh i decided that i would try to get all the artists from every single gallery and every single context and whether there's also a particular case in Montreal where French artists and English artists are kind of they're separated by there's a language barrier and there's a cultural barrier so that's that's one uh barrier uh what about what if you what if you got all these artists to come to your gallery and talk to them and come to the shows and stuff like that so I've been figuring it out that more the more and more that happens, the more and more the the seclusion or the the ghettoization. Let's say artists go to a certain gallery, they'll go another one. They go to certain art artist run centers. They don't they don't go to other ones. There's a specialized thing uh, that runs a line uh, commercial interests and runs a line runs uh, along the lines of academic uh theor theoretical uh specificities and so but what if you got all these people at the same place then wouldn't that be a kind of gentrification within the art market and the art world and it's kind of working um i'm getting the interest of all the artists across the board i created an art just a simple thing uh I created just before i came i'm right now in oaxaca as you know uh, mexico, City, oh, mexico love it and, I uh, love Mex Mexico. Say hi. <laughs> we'll get to that later. What why I'm doing? Yes. But before I came, before I left uh, Montreal for a month, also fleeing the winter, but uh, also with <laughs> uh, I, uh, I had a meeting of artists. So I made it all. I made a list of all the artists, uh, painters, because I specialize in painting. All the painters in Montreal, I considered that you know, painting in an extended kind of conception, uh, even photographers that work like painters, for example, or uh, ceramicists or 
or printmakers or or tapestry people who work with textiles and stuff like that but there's got to be like kind of the, the rule was that they have to be uh knowledgeable about the history and the practice of painting they have to have a reflective practice in relation to that right so that's kind of a loose yet pretty specific kind of way of approaching it and so i got i did this meeting and i invited 160 artists uh which i considered i didn't i stopped making the list at one point i'm sure there's more than that but we had this meeting and it just went so well uh i i got i addressed the painters at the beginning and i said well you know the 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 objective here is to talk about painting from painting and amongst painters and try to take control of the discourse on painting right and just can't get away of the institution get get away from the formality of the institutions and the language of institutions let's just kind of see how we perceive it and see what happens well just from the moment i started inviting people that the the reaction was amazing and then when they came at the place i got two applauses for no reason <laughs> so it was kind of it was unheard it was just kind of really surprising so that was that's the way that kind of i kind of like i'm generating that kind of lateral interest across institutions across galleries so that's the way that i'm one of the ways that i'm thinking maybe a gentrification of artists in the galleries and a, a gallery gentrification mm -hmm. of artists would attract the buyers later mm -hmm. so i'm kind of in the in the midst of that because as you know my model is kind of the model of my galleries uh, is a mixed model it's um it's not a private, it's a nonprofit, but I sell the work, but I sell, I return the profits to the artists, which hasn't been done here in Montreal, right? Yeah. Uh, and everybody's excited about that as well. So I'm, right now, I'm just on the verge, just this the beginning of the year, I'm getting, just now I'm starting to get, I can feel that something's happening, right? Yeah, it so, really, it really sounds like your, your focus is about localization, essentially about bringing people together but yeah. like your gallery space keeping it local but also accessible maybe not intimidating approachable just like those coffee shops that we see that turn little villages and you know environments areas into the gentrification that we know it starts it starts with the artist moving in there usually in squats in London that's what happened there um and uh, and then the coffee shops turn turn up and then the yummy mummies turn up and then the bankers move in and then but it, it starts with that that discovery of the unknown a little bit following your idea of coffee shops i am sitting in a coffee shop right now <laughs> and uh it's ironic because the light just went out on us and we had to kind of do all this uh circus of like trying to connect again and then uh it took some time for internet to kick to kick off it's kind of like there's a you know that phrase, I hate to quote it because I heard it so many times in Montreal that that's where the light comes in, the crack. That's all that kind of disorganization. Uh, Mexicans are very, um, they're very, very uh, uh, resourceful. And uh, so somehow it's all that idea of gentrification and, and you know, and things falling into place and things getting organized. Uh, it never works here. There's always kind of a something that falls through and that's where it's interesting and i guess somehow or another uh some way or another uh 
I think that's why Mexico is doing so well today. And so to come back to what I said before, what we talked about before, of the idea that you do mention in, 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 in your response to what I said, is the idea of lo locality, right? So that the gallery is set up in such a way that it responds to the local reality of how the economical and the financial and the fiscal world works. So the setting up a nonprofit that sells work works in Montreal. Once you when you come to Montreal and there are no grants, because I work on grants in Montreal as well, then you 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 fall into another category. You fall into or another kind of model. You fall into a model where there's investors and there's uh, there's a buoyant market. And uh so like from the local aspect of Montreal, I couldn't really kind of do anything to harness a you know the kind of market that happens in, in Mexico that that power because it doesn't happen in Montreal. It's the critical mass of collectors is very small and it's it's co-opted by these very few galleries. But when you come to Mexico, uh you can dip into that the really buoyant, extremely uh uh um, uh lively and creative market. You know, like you have people opening galleries as I did in Montreal in their own house and they're like being invited to fairs which I'm not being invited to in Montreal because their models are so strict. Uh, so my idea is how can I harness the power of the market in Montreal to, to, to uh, the part of the market in Mexico to, to Montreal? How can I get that strength and make it work in Montreal or like bring that interest in Montreal. Of course, the internet is a way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's not the only way. I think that if I bring renowned artists, which I've been doing to my gallery in Montreal, I think eventually like the web of collaborators in Mexico will kind of mm -hmm. try to figure out and the artists will figure it out and they'll, they'll see, and it's already got it starting. They'll see what's happening in Montreal and they'll start getting interested in that. The whole idea of gentrification will kick in as well in Montreal and a kind of weird global, you know, that word global, global and yeah. local. Yeah. yeah. I well, it, it is, comes... it is, it is exactly that one world though. And I, I know that you resonate with this too, because you're also multinational, multicultural, like, like myself. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that's just an extension of what, what you're representing and who you are because you know you speak Spanish like me too you, you speak Spanish and, and French and English and do you feel like it's this like hybridization uh amalgamation of all of the culture that you are and bringing people along the journey with you I think so I think so and it, it's just uh I think that that's my Mexican side doing all that uh hustling right uh, which I'm not that good at when it comes to selling work. Like I need somebody else to work with me as far as that. And I think I found the person. But um, the fact of like realizing the um, how specialization and mod modernism, the extension, high modernism and specialization, and how like, for example, Montreal, you're not allowed to be a painter and a writer and a gallerist, which I am. Uh, I think that thing, that kind of, the, the fact that I'm from Mexico where people have little means and what they do is they diversify. 
So like you, you know, every time I get, come to Montreal, I get into huge Uber and I talk to, I love talk, taking Ubers here, not because, uh, because of the, although it's very, it's very useful, you know, it's changed the quality of life here, by the way, in, in Mexico. Yeah. I'm not selling Uber. I'm just saying that the kind of particular way that you get to meet uh, different people from different styles of life uh, really mm -hmm. changes. It kind of creates a kind of socialism. Uh, so when I get home, when I come here from Montreal and I get on an Uber and I, I always ask the Uber guy, what did you do before? Sometimes I get psychologists. Sometimes I get people who had a business. Sometimes I get, uh, I got a guy who worked in addition. I got two police people, two policemen. So that already there, like it's a kind of a synthesis of all walks of life, you know. And then you ask them about politics and you ask them what, what they think about the city and you ask them. So you really get kind of a sense of um, what's happening in, 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 a, in a nutshell every time, you know, uh, or like summing it up together, you get that kind of sense. Uh, so that diversity that's kind of like always floating around in Mexico City I think that gave me that intuition uh, I, when I talk about gentrification. Uh, just to give you an idea, there I have a friend uh, who's who's he's high up in um, like I mean he's one of these in the seventies when these artists' red centers really were this kind of like motivation of uh, from artists to create kind of a place that they could kind of define. Uh, if you know a bit of the history, it, it, it's it, it's there was a surge of art centers when uh, when uh, there was a cultural evolution here when the French took control of the of the, of the of the policy and uh, the government basically. So they 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 decided that they would fund all these artist run centers because it was a creating a, a way of creating a um um I. I you know, I, uh, cultural identity. So the, uh, there's like the movies here, there's, they're funded and they're still funded. Uh, artist run centers are the difference between the, the thing with the movies is the movies, uh, they're a commercial venture all the time, but there's no critical mass. Well, I said the same thing about collectors, I guess it's kind of the same. Uh, so, uh, collecting here, there's no critical mass of collectors. So it has to, culture is always kind of like government funded, right? And so what happened when they created the US run centers is that people forgot to promote. They just, and it's also the time where like art was really, really, oh, let's say, let's send immaterial work. Let's, 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 let's promote. Let's try to show like performance video photo back then wasn't seen as something you could sell and stuff like that. So it became this like, okay, we do this kind of work. Like gradually it became hyper-specialized. You have centers that are do feminist art. You have centers that do, you know, nomad art. You have centers that do installation. You have centers that do social oriented stuff. So everything's specialized, but nobody thought about promoting the work and certainly not selling it because it wasn't sellable. So when painting came, came back or as painting is coming back very strong, I think because of like, uh, you know, media like Instagram, people can really, 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 really kind of like consume a lot of painting very quickly. And the young, uh, young people are artists are really painting a lot, to the extent that the 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 and universities have to universities have to catch up because they don't have any technical training really for painting anymore, you know. Wow. Uh, so as Deep. that comes back, um, 
uh, well, I mean, there's a need. So I talked to this guy that was one of the creators of one of these centers, which is still, he works in the government for, uh, for artists, important artists program. And I said, could you sell work in the galleries you created? And then he, he kind of did a double take. He'd never thought about it. Right. He never thought about it. So it's, I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying the model I created doesn't exist because they just haven't thought the answers right there. But they haven't thought about it because they they're used to thinking one way. Do do you think that that's what we're moving into? Is this this uh, I guess more more of a meritocracy? Well, there is there is a there's something. It's a bit delicate to talk about that because like everybody knows and nobody says anything about it. But the cultural policy right now. That's very uh, um, based on on cultural identity. You know, if you're like a minority, say if you're if if you're, you know, uh, Latin American and you're a woman and you're gay, you're like this is the symbolic capital that makes it so that okay, you'll get a grant probably. You know, and if you're like me, you're white, and I'm not. I speak. Yeah, I'm like you. I have no accent when yeah. I speak French, or you'd have no accent when you speak Italian, stuff like that. I totally disappear. I'm an invisible minority, so I don't, I can't profit from that unless I start saying, "Oh, I do Mexican art and stuff like that," which I won't do because that's not what I do, anyways. So those categories kind of like they they're they hurt that they the meritoc galleries pick in a very small margin, so the quality is going down. Nobody wants to say that because if you say that, you sound misogynist or racist or whatever it doesn't have to do with that i show a lot of people from minorities and but i might the only interested the thing i'm interested in is really quality right i'm really interested in quality so yeah. uh yes and no it it kind of shifts the problem but right now there's another problem that imposes certain things that kind of make you make it difficult to kind of just you know stay on like um value merit or show merit or concentrate on that what uh what what's what do you what are your thoughts on culture like what is culture to you i culture would be something i really try to avoid i'm reading a lot of easterns <laughs> philosophy so this idea of the no mind and the no like don't I try to not identify myself to kind of categories that pre-exist. It's the world that surrounds you that make you that makes you create certain things, you know. And uh, there is a thing about where you're about what's local. Uh, you know, when I come to to Oaxaca, when I paint, my colors change, and I don't try to change them, right? So there's something directly involved in the environment. But I think there's a there's a there's too much weight given to identity and culture if i could so there's somewhere between those two kind of uh poles there's something that's happening that we can call culture i, I imagine so we're talking about identity we're talking about culture and these new discoveries do you feel like this global global localization mentality now is is this new entry and discovery of new worlds like a new world uh, well, as you know, um, as we already talked about in a former interview, 
this comes this whole experience comes from a traumatic experience uh, uh i was a whistleblower in a museum there was a rapist is still there and i left uh, and it was all very painful for that the reason i just said it's just uh not much was done but um what happened is that the way to grow out of trauma and also uh, survival itself because you lose a job you've had for a while is you turn inwards and you go well first you ask yourself why why that happened and then when you have the energy or you have had enough um quiet time let's put it that let's put it that way with yourself you uh you 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 uh you try to figure out what what you know how to do what is it that you were you were leaving aside was it that you know how to do what what's part of you what have you learned everything all all your your aptitudes you know everything you know how to what to do and then you source that you you go and uh did you hear this no there's a big truck that came back anyways uh everything that you know uh and that you haven't used you try to develop so that's that's something that you learn you learn about yourself your limits i invented a businessman that i wasn't at all uh i became uh you know i i'm a, i was i was always been kind of a people person and very comfortable talking in crowds and stuff like that but now i apply that you know i applied that i put myself in situations where i had to uh go out there and okay well i have a project this is the project uh what do you know how to do uh you know and try and also listening is a thing i learned a lot um because when you're involved with yourself and you're kind of in a you know you're in a pattern and you get up then everything that's around you becomes kind of like functional and you, 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 you know, it's the, it's habit and it's all like that. But when you, when you develop uh, this, when, when, when you open yourself up to the world, because you're, you're, you're trying to develop from, you know, inside out, uh, then you start listening because you figure out that everything that you thought that, you know, how you perceive other people for example uh um you you just realize that you're kind of like judging or maybe just not listening not discovering people enough and so that's something i mean i if i could sum it up i think it's listening also right because i talk i can talk your ear off but uh i wasn't that good of a listener i think you know i think i've become no, much I better yeah, no, I totally understand. I, I think that's something that's been developed within me here as well with with the podcast as well. Right, so sure, yeah. There's that. But also, I think, I don't know whether you've experienced this too with your business head or business hat on, um, is maybe people start to see you differently. Maybe not just as the artist, they start to see you differently. And, 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 and maybe you start to also become aware of how people are approaching other people just generally for what they can get out of that individual that they are approaching. Yeah, you can, I think in a way you can still do that. You can still approach somebody say to find out what you can get from them, but at the same time you're giving yourself. 
like i mean you're you are also or that's when you listen you can kind of figure that kind of midway and it's not instrument instrumentalizing the other person it's really giving this other person the chance to grow with you mm -hmm. as opposed to kind of like oh like uh, you know you got money or like you got you know you just try to find out i mean this it's crazy to say this but i remember when i was young i was very introverted and uh my mother made me or my parents made me read this book by um carnegie it's called yes. how to Make friends i love that book and like i i don't know if you if you think about it it's carnegie right carnegie is so the way that uh you could perceive that as being completely ridiculous very superficial but he said stuff like you know uh to remember some of these names you know, and uh, address the person by their name and really simple things that are not, you know, of course, Carnegie was this kind of huge instrumental guy. And I'm sure he did a lot of bad things. I mean, like fund universities uh, that not fund universities, but um, I mean, I don't remember the details, but there's some stuff that's kind of like not so cool. Right. But uh, but certain things that he said uh, about just like how you you consider the person that's in front of you to develop a relationship, a working relationship with that person that are very simple. I mean, hardly anybody does that, you know? In the yeah. academic world, uh, people, you know, during like conferences, people will ask questions and you realize those, when they ask questions, most of those questions are like, to, they, they listen to themselves, ask the question. They're listening to themselves and then they don't even listen to the answer. You can tell they're not there. And I've done that myself, right? So that's kind of another example. You're not listening, you're there and there's a bunch of people that are knowledgeable. And then you're you're there to kind of like verify that you're as smart as them and that's enough, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of like the thing that I'm learning right now. Like sometimes I catch myself when I'm call, I'm talking to somebody and I go, oh, like you're not listening, you know? Yeah. You're like thinking, what can I get out of this and stuff like that? And it's not productive anyway. So, um, you know. Yeah, we start to become aware of these things when we start to wear different hats. It's such a strange shift. It's happened to me too. There's a book that I've read recently uh, called The Diary of a CEO by another Brit, Stephen Bartlett, and I highly recommend high pay listeners to go ahead and read it or listen to the audio book. I'm sure it's available everywhere. And I'm not, being sponsored. I'm not being sponsored to to share this, but I highly <laughs> recommend. But it's it's something that one of the there's a few messages there that really resonated with me. But one of them was um, don't disagree with other people, <laughs> like find a way to just listen to their point of view. And I, I think because I am so opinionated or I have been, or I, I I told the story to myself during my adult life that I was very opinionated. Um, actually, you know, I get to listen to other persons, other people's point of view, um, you know, which of course we, we know that from school, you know, from school and learning how to, uh, like learning oratory or learning how to speak um, in public and, and 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 debating and all of that, but then we somehow forget about it along the way in adult life. And um, I thought that was I thought that was a really insightful 
insightful message in the book. Highly recommend. So what is it again? The, the diary of, of a CEO, right? Yeah, Stephen Bartlett. He's I think he's like 28 and he's a billionaire and he's just opened so many uh, companies, but it's come about through many, many failures, as we all know. We know that. we I've had failed businesses. <laughs> I'm sure you have to <laughs> failed ideas. Um, but there is something about many people who do tend to have dreams and tend to want to at the beginning want to kind of express some sort of desire to feel better about themselves in life, in their personal life, in society, in the workplace, end up actually becoming some sort of like philanthropist or something. Like we want to make it a better place. And like it sounds like with what you're what you're doing in your next discovery is about a continuation of bringing people together, which you started off in Montreal and this glocalization which I like um I'm really I'm really excited about it I want to hear more about it as well you know you've got 160 artists already and um I wonder what their response has been and 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 also do you find that they sort of approach you a bit like the father figure of the art world in Montreal now because you've had so many people shift to you um from certain institutions there to your gallery space oh okay let's unpack that a little bit uh so having say they're collaborators these artists they don't necessarily show with me but um uh, conversely one of the things that okay so let's can I answer by talking about the project i'm doing in oaxaca so in oaxaca i have this friend that has a cousin so the friend is an artist who i worked with in mexico uh, I, and I met in Mexico when I was doing my master's here and he's a painter and he's very well known here. It's the kind of person that people recognize on the street, uh, which never happens in Montreal, never. And he has a cousin who has a hotel and the hotel is not, is kind of like abandoned. It's not, it's in a good state, but it's just not being used properly as a hotel. And so there's all these rooms and there are small suites. There's 18 of them. And there's, I just realized now when I came, that there's another kind of 15 rooms that have no kitchenette. The first ones have kitchenettes. They're like small apartments. And so he asked me to try to do a residency there. They had tried in 2008, but there's a, or around there, and there's political problems here, so they couldn't. So now he asked me to try. And so uh, I, I, I've, I've, as you know, I use a lot of Instagram to promote and stuff like that. And I put a story recently, yesterday, I think, and like people were writing me, what is this residency opening? What is this residency opening? Everybody wants to come to Oaxaca. So I'm using that draw to kind of bring together, bring artists that I don't work with in Montreal. Like they do come to these meetings, but they don't show at my gallery because they're represented. But there's not a single artist or not a single gallery that's going to stop them from showing in Mexico. Or so they, to are they, sorry to interrupt you. So are they non-exclusive on their contracts with they're their they're representation exclusive, they're exclusive in montreal i mean there's not a gallery in montreal that's gonna pretend to have for the reasons uh, the market's being so small uh there's not a gallery in montreal that's gonna stop any artist from working with a gallery in mexico and i'm pretty well poised for that I, i'm probably the person in montreal has the best contacts in mexico in the art world and so that's a way of kind of like taking away that kind of like like uh ghettoization like 
um, diluting that from Mexico. So, so that's another example of, okay, from this locality, Mexico, I can do something in Montreal, right? That has an effect. Eventually, I could maybe even start charging these galleries for them for to get, you know, their artist shows in Mexico. Mm-hmm. It's not the objective, but at the same time, uh, well, I have to fund what I'm doing, right? Uh, so this residency, uh, the idea here is to um, get these artists to meet curators, local artists, artisans, uh, uh investors, buyers, curators, and make them, uh, help them get, you know, develop uh, projects here, right? Um, and it's it's done in a, you know, I mean, the problem always with when you come to a country that's poorer or a city like Mexico, like uh, Oaxaca is the danger of just like, exploiting local talent right so for example artisans well yesterday i had this talk with this woman called monica uh who is uh who is a major was a major artist in the 80s she had a she was showing with one of the best galleries in new york and she gave up because she she didn't like that world and she started working on brokering those types of relationships between international artists and local artisans to try to um to try to uh, m- well mediate the the business aspect of it and return like make it fair for the local artisans. It's never a, a complex uh, a simple situation because artisans don't see themselves as artists and value is created by the kind of when you put a a big A at the beginning of the word artist. That's where the value is created in the market, right? So how how you how do you do it? How do you how do you make it so that the artists that come here that do put that big A in front of their artist uh, uh, persona? Um, how do you how do you return a proper um, proper value, proper symbolic value, proper uh, you know economical value? Uh, how do you return? How do you how is it? How do you give that back to the person you're working with? It's not a 50-50 thing either, right? It's very complex. And so that type of thing is also something that's um, right now is very well seen in the art world in, in Montreal. If you put that in your grants and you say, well, I have this person that does due diligence or compliance, as they call it in the corporate world, uh, then it becomes a value uh, relative to the Canada Council, Montreal Council, Quebec Council, and it brings me a revenue over there that I can give back to the local community here, right? So it's it's all this kind of very, yeah. you know, very. Um, it's all in, it's all in flux, but it's very exciting at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it sounds it sounds like you're sort of maneuvering around certain old ways of thinking I would say possibly um about again what culture means and what art means as well and I think also with the beginning of you mentioning about how you started off setting up Galerie Cash is um it came about through a traumatic a very traumatic experience that had really affected you personally um 
and and again it's like just moving away from maybe the haves and have nots possibly but also moving away from kind of despotic rulership well i think at the uh, the origin of the one of the questions I ask myself is why is there so much abuse of power in the art world? And uh, so that it's it's just that's that's giving a lot of it's giving me a lot of ideas, which are also productive, even financially. So it's it's wrong to think that by having control of the product you will have necessarily a better. People are just tired of that. Like if you talk about. If you talk to any artist right now, they'll tell you they're tired of even if they have galleries, the way they have to do a series every time, the way they have to wait in line for another show, like horses in a stall. Actually, uh, I don't know if in English they call the artists in the gallery uh artists that are the stable of artists, but they do that, do that in French. They call écurie. <laughs> so uh it's that's already very strange, but it, nobody says anything about it. nobody thinks about it twice, right? So people are tired of that. Artists are tired of that. I think uh, specifically artists, they're producing the value and and um, they have no control of it. So, uh, you know, even what people want, what artists want right now is to get out of that. They want to go somewhere where they can just like have fun and produce and eat well and stuff like that. So that's that's a that's a value you can sell yeah. to the profit of the person buying as well a real experience you know you don't have to charge too much in fact my objective is to get the real artist like i mean the the good artist this way this way the the, the model of the residency is along along the lines of some something like um, vermont studio where you get some people that pay uh, you know amateur artists uh you know some rich painter from texas who is retired and wants to be in the you know, meet other artists and 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 have a break from politics in in Texas and uh, you know, uh, and uh, he just wants to get away. Well, you get those people to pay handsomely for the the court the 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 rooms, and then you can finance all the rest. You can find you can get charge value prices or not nothing at all, and 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 you can generate all this kind of even the artists that come they could become the buyers themselves. They're already interested in art. So these rich artists or amateur artists, they're like they're they interact in so many different ways, you know. So the, one of the things I want to do, for example, is uh, with the money that's paid uh, for the rooms, I hire I hire a cook, and this cook makes a huge dinner, and everybody's there. So like the amateur artists schmooze with the professional artists, so everybody's happy. Uh, and then from then on, everybody goes to do what they want, right? So for the artists that are real professional artists, well, what I do is I just I do that. I I network for them for them, and I it's a it's a it's a custom made experience. Like if you, for example, I have an artist that wants to come in May. He wants to do ceramics. Well, I I'm going to see a ceramist this afternoon. I'm going to tell him this guy wants to come here, and then I'm going to get this woman, Monica Castillo is her name to barter that relationship so that it's fair there's um i can't remember the name of it but there's a an art residency in mexico and it's only by invitation do you see the program being by invitation or 
can some of the high pay listeners who are artists are able would you think they'd be able to apply or um i'm going to uh do it's a bit kind of the same I, the gallery works a bit like that i get a lot of proposals unfortunately 95 percent of proposals are not interesting so i don't i don't ask for applications but i do uh well i curate most of it which is a hate I, a word i hate by the way curator curators another place like it's another way of like it's it's a it's it's a it's a way of like that word means power it means and it's not necessarily applied the right way you know uh but uh i invite other people as well to curate uh for lack of better of a better word uh here i will work with collaborators who are on site who will use i hope the residency to develop their own projects so if they want, you know, there's this guy here called Diego Teo, who's a wonderful draftsman, draftsman who has a company called Crater Invertido, so Inverted Crater, who uh, who works, uh, he does books, uh, collaborative books with the other drawers, right? So I figured out that one of the persons, that, people that came here, he, there's an artist in Montreal called Adrian Norbert. He kind of works, uh, his work is similar to the, uh, the um, David Shrigley, his name, I think, is? Yeah, love David, David Shrigley. Shrigley. That kind of weird humor. Um, it's a whimsical. And my art, whimsical. Like yeah, it's like whimsical. Yeah, like yeah. you look at his drawings and you go, some people don't laugh because they don't get it, but that's the point. It's not that funny, but it's funny because it's not that funny. <laughs> anyway, something like that. Uh, yeah. And he would be great for a book. In fact, he does like these little booklets. Uh and I thought maybe he could collaborate with him. So that's a tailor-made thing, right? You put him in contact, and then even that project could go on after he's he's gonna probably be here only two weeks. So he could go on working on that. I haven't even talked about it with him yet. Uh, I'm not sure it might we might not be able to collaborate, but then we'll adapt. He can do a book on his own or something like that. So that's an example of how you kind of you think, oh, this artist works like this. Uh, let's kind of like get him, you know. Yeah, give him the opportunity to work, you know, there's another artist that's coming that wants to do textiles. So I know this guy that does wonderful textiles who works with artists all the time. So that's another option. Another option is just like the straightforward kind of exhibit. So there's a group of people that are coming uh, also in May. And the idea is to create, you know, one of the, the artists has this idea of curating a show uh, about cubism in the era of the digital digital image what happens to that kind of space cubist mm -hmm. space in the era of digital um imagery where everything is flattened you know so you don't have that kind of idea so he he thought about that and he 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 thought about certain artists so i invited those artists too and then i'm working with a gallery in and in, in or i'm hoping to work with a gallery in mexico called la now who's kind of like the same, they have the same model I do in many ways. They're very young. They're like, one. one's called Ismael, he's 31. And uh, the 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 other person, the other owner is a young woman of 27. They've understood everything I've understood uh, about without, the before. Yeah, without, without needing to like explain or they just, they just get it. And I think, I think yeah. it, it sounds like, 
you're really mainly about attracting people that just understand your your model you know um and and it, it really sounds like you're working more about um cross-pollination and internationalism as well and in the sense of traveling <laughs> like I can't stress how important that is to me um but I tell people to travel go somewhere like learn a new language or try to integrate you know in a, in a different way outside of your as outside of your norm talking about education what books are you reading at the moment okay so I read this book called the power of now which is a very well-known book that my mother used to have and I never I just threw it away because I thought just I looked at the cover and I said this is new age stuff I'm not I don't need it uh much like the the Carnegie Carnegie book I wound up think like reading it and uh realizing how how powerful it is it's a very powerful book I've re been reading a lot of uh Jung uh I think I we, we already talked about that a long time ago or like two years ago already I think uh and um I'm reading the Upanishads. I don't know if you pronounce it like that. Yeah, Upanishads, yeah. Yeah, so you can see it's more... I mean, Jung is very influenced by Eastern philosophy, so there's a link there. And uh, yeah, um, what's his name? Eckhart? Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, he's, you know, he's he could be an Eastern monk. Uh uh, I'm trying to kind of figure out well, this idea. We talked about identity before mm -hmm. that. How it's kind of a, it's this burning coal, burning coal we don't want to let go of. Uh, and once we let go of it, all these things become possible. Yeah, it's it sounds like there's there's a there's a shedding of of the ego. You, you mentioned this Eastern philosophy of no mind, which is really ultimately what we're trying to do as mystics as well is just to try to not try and just be and to just rid rid ourselves of identity rid ourselves of uh stories and that is ascension that's part of the ascension process and then you end up realizing that you're nothing and you're everything all at the same time i, I wouldn't have been able to put it that way <laughs> i'm not good it's not something i'm able to i'm able to put in words uh so and it doesn't have to be yeah <laughs> it doesn't have i mean this is a podcast we we do have words here <laughs> um but yeah. it, it's one of those things that is kind of difficult to express it's uh it's 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 a moment i guess and yes, inspirational people at this time apart from those amazing writers and and books three inspirational people that you'd like to share inspirational people my friend Damian Flores uh who's a collaborator who's the he's a I mean the residency is probably going to be called La Couturia which is his organization I think I'm going to merge into his he's a he's an artist he's a businessman uh his career is exploding uh he has a show uh opening in Mexico with Orlan uh that um French artist who operates on herself very intense stuff but you know uh it's the most the idea of trans cultural um 
application or expression of you know like merging different cultural worlds in this case zapotec culture uh some puchitan is where he's from and he manages to deal with contemporary culture by empowering local culture i hope i'm gonna remind that because i'm supposed to write something on his work and uh i think i just figured that out as i was talking but he's <laughs> he's got this kind of thing where he's he's starting from a a very difficult position of being complete, like in the margins of the margins, right? Mm. Uh, although he's from middle class and then growing uh, through through uh, through developing a cosmo vision and strong relationships with very um, intelligent and creative people and himself being very creative and developing all these kinds of aspects, you know? Proud to call him a friend and... Uh, that's one person, uh, the closest. So it's very, you know, very close person. I guess uh, I'm starting to think about. Um, well, Jung is somebody, somebody who's always going to be present. Uh, I am always discovering how complete of a man he is, and how powerful his thinking is. Um, he got I got rid of Freud through Jung, which is a good thing, I think. Uh and uh that's too. I don't know who else. I really like people who were able to there's another guy who was like that, uh, who's able to his business mob model, um, John Zorn. I think we talked about him last time. John Zorn is somebody who uh has is able to work in very many different styles. I want to do that as well uh you know he does uh, surf music jewish music klezmer uh contemporary avant-garde music uh heavy metal uh mixes all that together and he developed uh his own label is a way to uh allow musicians that do that for example mike Patton uh from faith no more uh yes. to develop um An array of possibilities as far as the market goes, as far as distribution, and uh, I think it makes him more prolific because mm -hmm. he has no limits. He's he's as he develops a new way of thinking about making music, he develops a new way of getting it out there, right? Uh, so I admire him a lot. He's not a I can't call him a friend. I never met him, but it would be fun to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that will happen. And um, most of the high pay listeners know that Carl Jung is a huge inspiration to me and much the same as you. Um, edged me out of Freudian um, ideas. Not that I was ever a massive fan, but Carl Jung. It was also said that he sat with shamans as well, which makes a lot of sense. And um, yeah. and then in, t in terms of uh, your tips and tricks, have they changed uh, from the last time we spoke? What would you offer to the high pay listeners Three tips, tricks. Have, do you have? A, do you remember the ones I gave you last time? It doesn't matter. I mean, the thing is, is that I always see that um, as we evolve, our perceptions evolve as well. Well, anyways, I'm not certainly not the person I was two years ago. Try to find out. I think try to find out where fear comes from. You know why? Why is it that you know? I mean, I. I'm very, I'm, 
I'm facing the unknown and I'm I, I'm anxious about it. And as I try to figure out why I'm anxious, then it's always kind of it's always like, oh, I'm afraid of the future, I'm afraid of the past. But you know, when you're to quote the book that I told you about at the beginning, the power of now is you're not, there's nothing else than what's happening right now. So if you're thinking about the future too much, you kind of can't live. You know, I'm in the middle right now. I'm in I'm in the, one of the nicest cities I know, and it's sunny, and there's flowers everywhere, and sometimes I don't see them, and I'm worried about stupid things, you know? Uh, I think that's one thing that I, I've discovered that it's, that is, it's a very powerful thing to understand that and to kind of feel it, you know, more than with words. Just kind of like, you know, you, what, what am I feeling now and why am I feeling it? And follow that. And that, that, that leads me to another tip, which is uh, follow, you know, let your feelings uh, um, tell you what's going on, you know? Um, that's two tips, <laughs> I think. The now and feelings and... Um, and it's not like a touchy feely thing at all. It's it's completely outside of. It's there's no value to it. You gotta. It's all right to feel anything, but it's 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 really valuable to understand where they're coming from. Why? Why you're afraid of this? Why you afraid of that? Then all of a sudden, if when when you become good at that, I think the past becomes you know because there's trauma is such a way of uh, trauma has a way of convincing you that you are your past. That's what it is. You're nothing else but that traumatic experience. And the more you center on the norm, more now and the more you figure out where your feelings from, the less that takes the, 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 that the importance of the trauma is becomes nothing, right? It's it's an iceberg that becomes a a little uh, ice cube. Mm -hmm. uh, it melts. Yeah. And then would you be able to share one last tip or trick? Uh, be aware of the categories you use to qualify things. You know, uh, it's as silly as thinking, say, oh, I do figurative art or I, I do feminist art or I do... Uh, I don't know, I do punk art or I do, why do you have to qualify it like that from the start? I know if, if uh, it's not limiting per se, you know, doesn't mean that you stop doing feminist art, doesn't mean it's not, there's an aspect of it, you know, but it's not what you are. You are, you, yourself is so mysterious that if you try to define what you're doing, then you start believing your bullshit and then you, you, you reduce yourself to to that word right i think and um unfortunately we're running out of time eric but how would you close the last sort of um the last words of wisdom how what would you share as your words <laughs> of wisdom i don't think i'm a wise person but uh so, uh, uh Okay, uh, I'll play that game. Let's say, um,
there is more uh, practical power in following following your dreams than is usually uh, then usually people you know when you when you say follow your dreams people go oh like all right you know and they think about the uh, that song on the rainbow song there the not Kermit the Frog's rainbow song but the um somewhere oh, uh, beyond the rainbow or something like that I remember it's not like that at all it's just that you, if you do that what you're doing is you're actually um tapping in on on all your energy right and uh when you do that people notice and they follow you and they so you generate things and you become uh your needs follow like what you i mean you you'll feed you you'll get food and you'll get money and you'll get but then that's not important you know um so i think that's the thing that i'm discovering is that when i really do know what i want and i go for it i think everything else solves itself somehow i mean that sounds like a a really lovely way to end your episode i would say because there isn't necessarily something that has to be said about being lovey-dovey about the world like follow your dreams no actually if you follow your dreams you discover you know the themes about discovery here season six you discover more about yourself yeah I, I was listening to you say that yeah and uh I thought I thought list following your dreams yeah but dreams are complicated as well you don't really know what they mean Sometimes so they don't even, yeah, sometimes they don't even look like dreams. They're probably just, um, you know, an idea or a project. And and sometimes they disguise themselves as dreams, but it's a desire within that makes us want to go and, and, and pursue that, pursue that goal. So we can, we, I imagine somebody creating a musical called Follow Your Dreams, but then you have a character like Jung in it and saying, it's not that simple. You know, some guy <laughs> with a beard or something like that. And then, like, going into a weird kind of, I don't know, Christopher Nolan kind of thing. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love Christopher Nolan. I love his, I love his uh, films. Um, but definitely, it isn't that simple, but it is also simple. We sometimes make it complicated. But that's also part of the hero's journey. And, um, Eric, it's been such a pleasure having you back here on Hype A. Thank you so much for your your shares, your wisdom, your time, your energy, your inspiration as well really you you look like you're doing what you want to do and you sound like you're you know you're you're creating you're creating magic alchemy even i just have to learn to enjoy it more <laughs> it can be stressful yeah but anyways yeah it's all good um we're we're really excited to hear more about it let us know how we can support you as well here on high pay information uh, about the art residency about your work as well which we haven't spoken about in this episode but you can always come back to high pay and talk about your work and how light has an effect on your work as well uh wherever you are in the world and uh we welcome you back thank you so much and take care and that's it for now, Hypey listeners. Get turned on and tune in every Thursday. See you next Thursday with another inspirational guest. Ciao for now.